welcome to Give Him Hell, Bring Him, Jeff. It is with a heavy heart that we must discuss the death of and passing of one insane person named John McAfee. Who's not Pat McAfee. Which, no, not the, maybe to those of us, Maybe. To those of us who aren't nerds, and I am a nerd, but I'm not a supercomputer nerd, John McAfee really doesn't mean anything to me off the bat. I have to think about who John McAfee is. My, my mind went straight to, oh no, Pat McAfee, somebody died. But that's not what happened. No, this is that pesky antivirus that got was pre-installed on your Dell computer in 2008. That McAfee is yeah. who we're talking about. And he was uh, being held in a prison in Barcelona and was found dead in his prison cell. And do so we know do we know why he was in prison? Um, let me see. I don't remember. But like, was he, it legit or is it a conspiracy of some sort? So he was. I don't know. His he was held in a U.S. prison or in a no. He was being held in a Spanish prison after being charged with tax evasion by the United States, and his extradition to the United States was approved by the Spanish government. And then he was found dead. But what is weird is he said a couple years ago that he would never commit suicide. And if anyone, it appears that he committed suicide. He was Epstein and did not actually kill himself. And he created a cryptocurrency um, and said he created a cryptocurrency called Whacked, as in someone killed him. And some strange things have been going on for the last couple of days with that currency. So it, there may be some other things going on. But he also said he supposedly had... 31 terabytes worth of data exposing all of the world corruption and should he be killed then that or when he dies that will be released so all of the world's corruption that's a lot of corruption yeah so i mean who knows i we'll see what happens there's supposedly some 31 terabyte file floating around and he's trying to put it on the blockchain so it can never be deleted which whatever which would be a I don't know if I believe this mostly because how are you going to orchestrate that from a Spanish prison, right? Like it's not, I mean, I don't exactly think he was in some white collar luxury, you know, hotel where they just wouldn't let him leave outside and he had access to the internet, right? It was supposedly his wife was handling everything. Um, his wife who actually was a former prostitute and then he met mm. her for, I'm assuming on the job. And then two weeks later they got married um and this and this homie had a software that was pre-downloaded on every computer in the world basically yes so it, it's very it's strange things are afoot on this mcafee case and uh we will have to see what happens so there are some 31 terabyte files floating around but who knows if that's actually like what he set up to be released or if someone you know they said he supposedly had it and then once he passed away or came out that he's dying someone's just like oh let me throw up this 31 terabyte file and of random garbage and see if it's actually you know really him or if it's someone just trying to like make a play on his thing because i mean the guy also said that he would uh cut off his genitals and eat it on live tv if bitcoin did not reach a million dollars by the end of 2019 or something like that and he did not do that well that did after bitcoin did not do that um oh. This is nuts. Like, this is crazy stuff. 
And I, I don't know, man, I want, I want corruption to be exposed. I really am just kind of a supporter of chaos nowadays. I'm ready for the chaos. So I don't know what kind of corruption this dude has or doesn't have. I mean, it might be nothing, but if he has it, I want it to be big, like big stuff. Like, give us some off-season fodder. We need our, like, this could, do you realize how many intros? If he really releases 31 terabytes. Yeah, that's a ton. That will give us intros for, like, the next two years on the show. I like that. I like that. It's interesting, man. I mean, it's really interesting. John McAfee, a.k.a. not Pat McAfee, is dead. That is sad. I mean, it's sad when anybody dies. I don't know. Uh, I mean, apparently he wasn't involved with that company for, I mean, he was old, he was 75 years old, but he, um, he sold out of the company and like, um, yeah, in 1987, he wrote the first commercial antivirus software and then he sold out in 1994 and basically retired his, his wealth peaked at a hundred million in 2007 um, in October, 2020, he was arrested in Spain over U S tax evasion charges. And then it said that he was found dead due to suicide by hanging. What an awful way to, to do that. That Ugh. sounds miserable. Um, it does. It really does. So he also, uh, well, this was a- at one point he was also the suspect of a uh, person. He was the person of interest in a murder that happened in Belize. Well, he was also living there, trying to cover up things, and th- yeah, there's a there's a lot of strange things going on. There are a lot of strange things. Um, I love it. And I he claimed to have 47 children, fathered by numerous different women. Okay, is this guy Antonio Cromarty? Uh, he's uh, actually <laughs> I read something. <laughs> Nick Cannon, if you're talking about yeah, this. Nick Cannon. Did you see that this week that yes. he is going for his fourth baby mama this year? third because oh. one of them it's a set of twins which oh, is the okay. second so fourth kid yes which he also has a set of twins with mariah carey but yes he's got three children three different women have birthed his children in the last year all of them he was dating simultaneously because when because mariah, he said when that, mariah carey left him his life went to hell so he says that monogamy is not for him and the only reason that he you know was married to mariah carey is because it was mariah carey and he never he never would have been locked down if it wasn't because of her (laughs) stature that's fine i mean i get it if you don't want to be monogamous that's great monogamy might not be for you but brother canon vasectomies might need to be for you you know go do Whatever it is that you want to do, nobody cares, but you are bringing life into this world. How many, how many child support check? How much is maybe the better question? How much in child support is Nick Cannon paying? Because it's all relative, right? Like whatever that government calculation is, it's all relative to how much you make. So how much is Nick Cannon paying? And are these women who are getting pregnant? I don't know this, and this sounds misogynist, I think. I'm going on a misogynist trail, and I'm not meaning to do that. But do they like did they hit the jackpot? Like if you get impregnated by Nick Cannon, is that somehow a win for you? I don't know, but he um 
so the let's see, I speaking of Antonio Camardi and child support. <laughs> Um, so Antonio Camardi has 14 kids. Did you, do you remember yeah. that interview he did where he had to pull out a piece of paper? Cause he couldn't remember all of his kids' names. Yeah. Um, great, sad. great father. So we, sh- we shouldn't he, laugh at this. He it's says sad. he owes $17,000 a month in child support because of his 14 kids. So it's, uh, actually, well, one report says that, and, um, another says that it's a total of $336,000 a year, but his income is currently, $100,000 a year off his NFL pension. So uh, it's bleeding his bank account. The highest one is that he has one child, Alonzo, where he pays $4,000 a month because it's based off of his salary when he was playing at the, in the NFL. And you also, I don't know if you also remember uh, Travis Henry. He like played for the Bills and I think he played at Tennessee in college. Um, he is also um, his you know, he also had nine kids from nine different women. And after he retired from the NFL, he was paying $170,000 a year in child support when he was no longer playing. And I believe he ended up going to prison for being behind on that and is like bankrupt um, because he does not making $170,000 anymore. I I got no words, man. Like, I, it makes me sad. It really does. Like, we're going to, we, we laugh about it and we should. It deserves to be laughed about. But that makes me sad. Like, there are kids. These are kids. Yeah. Just, it's what a world. What a world we live in. Nick Cannon. Yeah. I did read that. That's a lot of, that's a lot of babies. We put good up. I mean, at least Nick has a career that's sustainable, not like an NFL career that it, the money's going to run dry at some point, right? Unless you're Tom Brady and you've got endorsement deals until you're dead, that money's going to stop coming in and you better hope you have a grundle of money saved up and a bunch of high quality investments. Do we need to but discuss the word grundle again, Jeff? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we don't. I apologize. I mean, uh, what but another world. What a world. Yeah, really. I think uh, monogamy and vasectomies might be the best title. Of, I think that's what we're going to title this episode, and this will be the best time that we've ever had, and hopefully we'll get a lot of run with it. But on a completely different topic, you have been back in the design lab. You've thrown up a couple of new sweaters on the site. Um, so if you have not checked out our merchandise store, it's uh, You know, Shipping is free. Um, our Father's Day and promo I went, just I went ended. out of my way to not, when I, when I added these new products, I, Garrett, I was... I mean, I'm, I'm, my fingers are really close together, this close from selecting a product from the Czech Republic again. Like so, it almost happened. And then I remembered, oh, crap, I got to look and see what country this is coming from. You'd be proud of me. Because I am, I stopped I am proud of you because there was a few weeks when we were losing money on the whole operation because <laughs> we were paying like $14 in shipping on a shirt that we charge $20 for. Yeah, so yeah, that happened. And, and that's not a good customer experience, right? It's bad. For, that's bad for everyone. Cause no one wants to wait a month to get their shirt, right? Like we no. want to have quick turnaround times from the printer. Yeah. So yeah. it's, we have a couple new shirts. Uh, we have lots going on. I think um, we do need to start getting, um, we'll get more buttons and things going on. We're kind of, we're going to get back into it here and start ramping up and get some uh, seasoned, some designs coming for the season. Um, and so, yes, if you haven't checked out our store, give them help, bring them.com. You can use the 
code word hellion for or cfp cabal you can do either one uh for 10 percent off your order so check it out that's give them help bring them.com and speaking of the upcoming season jeff i finally booked my hotel for vegas yesterday and i did you i did you get as good of a deal as i did no and i gr- deeply deeply regret it um i'm not staying in a resort like you are i mean mm-hmm. I, it's i ended up booking there's a holiday in express across the street from the hotel which is mm-hmm. f- which i'm fine with because i'm not coming i'm leaving saturday early saturday morning so i'm not going to be there for multiple nights the game gets starts at 8 30 or 7 30 whatever it's not going to be over till almost midnight this is literally across the street from the hotel and it includes parking so it's like, it'll be nice to just, you know, be able to stick the car there, walk over, do whatever we want to do, go to the game and then go back to the hotel and just crash. That's fine. But it was like 230 bucks, which is like not a ton, but for a single night at a Holiday Inn Express, that's what you get for waiting on Labor Day weekend. Once everybody and their dog is like, oh, pandemic's over. Let's go travel. Right. Like, oh, yeah, man. I- I'm in the Palazzo, which is, in my opinion, I mean, it's up there with the win. Uh, it is the Venetian for those of you who want to tell me, no, the Venetian's the nicest, the Palazzo Venetian, they're the same. Uh, I'm in the Palazzo for 90 bucks a night. I still do not know how you managed to do that. So I'm looking at the Palazzo right now and they won't even let you. So that's the other thing over Labor Day weekend. I noticed some of the hotels will not let you book for a single night. They're requiring yeah, I that they're Multiple requiring nights. to either book Friday through Sunday or Saturday to Monday. They're requiring at least two nights. Um, but the Palazzo I'm looking at right now is like the rooms there are 416 a night. So you got a major, major steal. And I should have just hopped on and booked something the same day you did. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a gamble at the time. Like we were still at the height of the pandemic and people thought I was a little bit nuts because it was, shoot, when did I do that? Was that like December? Like it was a, it was January, maybe. It was a long time ago. Um, but Hey, it worked out. Yeah. I'm not but, paying 230 bucks a night to go stay at a holiday inn. Right. I mean, well, I guess it depends on Cause it's, is the Palazzo is that walking distance to the stadium? Or are you going to have to take an Uber no. over? No, I'll right. have to Uber. So, I mean, your Uber will probably cost you Labor Day weekend. I mean, that might cost you 40, 50 bucks. If, and so, it, you know, that's basically, or, you know, if it's that versus parking, uh, plus, you're probably going to have to pay a parking fee at the Palazzo to whatever. And so that's what it's kind of like. Eh, it's Holiday Express, but it's like covers game parking. It covers parking in Vegas. Like it, it's not bad. So there is a holiday. I think it's the Holiday Express South Las Vegas. I am assuming that there will be tons of Cougar fans there. They still have rooms available. I mean, it's not fancy, but it's like a Holiday Express. Like you know exactly what you're getting, right? You're like, it's a decently comfortable bed that will be in a clean hotel with a halfway edible continental breakfast. Like, whatever i'm, yeah, I'm only I mean, going to be spending i'm going to be actually in the hotel for like eight hours right because we're going i'm going to roll up going to park the car come find you like we'll go to a book and watch the rest of the games then head over to the stadium i mean we'll i probably- made reservations uh my wife and i are going together and i made reservations at hell's kitchen for friday night Ooh, like the hell's kitchen that's fancy it is kind of fancy and i made the reservations a couple of months ago when I was catching up with the last season of the actual show hell's kitchen. And I only had two options. Like labor day weekend was already all booked out at hell's kitchen. And so I had like five available tables 
and it was at either 5.30 or at 9 o'clock. So, weird. Vegas is going to be popping while BYU is down there. I do still have four tickets that I need to get rid of. I bought six because, well, let me tell you, I bought them for BYU when they first came out because I was unsure of what the aftermarket was going to look like. BYU's tickets were fairly cheap. So I just, I grabbed a pair. So I've got two tickets up in that BYU section. I think it's like the second, I don't know what it is. It's like the, one of the corners on the second deck, decent seats, but then the Arizona tickets or no, it was the Ticketmaster presale that we got into. I think that's, did you buy tickets to the presale? No, yes. you didn't. Yeah, I did. You did. So yep. we got into the presale found the code that everybody eventually found, but we found it pretty early. And I scooped up four tickets. I have a pair on row seven over on the Arizona side and a pair on row two or three over on the Arizona side. And I haven't decided where I'm going to sit. I, I'm going to probably sit over on the Arizona side during that lower or in that lower section somewhere, just because it's an NFL stadium and the screens are big enough. Normally I like to sit up high, be able to see what's happening in the game. But when I go to NFL stadiums, because I'm not a huge NFL guy and I don't really care about going to NFL games. Like I'm, if I get invited to a Raiders game, great, but I'm never going to go out of my way to go to a Raiders game. I want to have the, the best experience of a stadium, like an NFL stadium that I possibly can. So uh, I'll probably sit row three, just to say that I did. But if you want row seven tickets, let me know because I got them. And if you want second deck tickets with a bunch of BYU fans, also let me know because I got those too. How many got do you bunch have? Of tickets. How many do you have in the upper deck? I got two, and that I, they're all in pairs. Right. So I got a pair in the upper deck. I've got a pair on row seven and a pair on row three. Okay. Well, I will uh, also. You know, we can. You know, you can sell them to a BYU fan, or you can sell them to an Arizona fan. All like. I don't know how many of them will be there. I, I wonder. I think it's going to be 70, 30 BYU fans. Ooh, man. I, I think it might even be more than that. So Arizona's going Arizona's to be bad. Yeah. And this Jed Fish hire that they, that they did this year, it was like universally lambasted as one of the worst hires, maybe ever. I mean, it kind of almost in a weird way, kind of felt like they were trying to be like, oh, well, Herm Edwards is working out for ASU, so let's just go get a random NFL guy who vaguely has ties to the university. Very strange. Very but, strange. The, he did hire Don Brown. I love Don Brown. Don Brown is a great defensive coordinator coming over from Michigan. He's been a defensive coordinator really back east. Like I think he was at Boston College. He was in Maryland, uh, been at Michigan with Harbaugh for the last five or six years. The dude's aggressive. I, I read, where did I read this? I can't remember where I read this. Phil Still, maybe? Or Athlon? I can't remember. He sends more than four rushers more than 60% of the time. Like, this that's, dude is he, always blitzing. That's the opposite of uh, the Elisa Tuiaki approach. Well, it, it, it's, the, it's, the defensive, it's the defensive play calling that BYU fans think they want. But let me remind you, BYU fans, Don Brown... While it's super exciting defense, he did just get fired at Michigan. Yes. Like, it isn't infallible, right? Like, sending blitzes on every play is not the answer to all of the defensive woes. But it will be fun to watch. There's there's no doubt about that. But their, their offensive coordinator at Arizona is, uh, what's his first name? Brennan? Brennan Carroll, the son yes. of Pete Carroll. Yep. And he has never been an offensive coordinator. Jed Fish 
was a quarterback's like he hasn't been an offensive coordinator at the college level since I think he was at UCLA uh, under Jim Mora in like 2016 and the beginning of 2017. They don't know what kind of, and this is what's maybe the most fascinating. This is not on our agenda, but it's on topic. This is what's so fascinating to me about what Arizona's got going on this year. So they brought in a pair of NFL guys because Carroll was working with Pete Carroll at the Seahawks. He's been there since like 2013. He's been there for a while. So you've got an NFL guy who runs that Seattle offense that is, I mean, it's a modern pro style, but it's a pro style offense. There's not a ton of like those college read option type schemes. You've got Jed Fish who's coming from the Patriots and he was with the Rams. Like he's a, he's a smart guy but he's also going to run a little bit more of a pro style type scheme. It'll be that modern pro style, kind of like what the Rams were running, but it'll be like that. They've said the quarterbacks are going to be under center. Right. I mean, so that's, that's different for Arizona. Here is Arizona's quarterback situation. They've got Will Plummer coming back. Uh, he is, he was recruited by Kevin Sumlin to play in that same scheme that Khalil Tate played in, that it's heavy read option and then a, a bunch of deep, balls he's never under center ever uh he's probably qb3 right now in this cube in, in the quarterback race they've got jordan mcleod who transferred from usf byu fans know usf they are never under center it's a shotgun based read option scheme it's a lot of wide zone runs and a quarterback mcleod who doesn't have a, a strong arm but he's accurate but he mostly threw to the sidelines at usf that's just kind of what he did so basically, it, it's not that West Coast pro style, modern pro style, whatever that you're going to see from from uh, from Fish and Carroll. And then the third option is Gunnar Cruz, who was recruited by Mike Leach at Washington State to run the air raid. Also, not a pro style offense in any stretch of the imagination. So they've got three quarterbacks who don't fit what it seems like these two NFL coaches are going to try and do in a team that was running very much a spread offense. For the last five years under Kevin Sumlin, and before that, running Richrod's offense when 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 Arizona, which was pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it's a yeah. I don't the the personnel makes zero sense. I was thinking about this yesterday, and uh, just as I was booking the hotel and thinking about what we're going to do, and we kind of talked about needing to like how we're going to do a live show that day or how we're going to sort that out, and. I think we do need to talk to Mitch Harper about uh, doing our live show, just being a collab with uh, Cougar Sports Saturday, because that's probably the easiest go. way to do it um, wherever they're setting up at. But I was thinking, like, what is your score prediction for this game? And the number that came to my head was 45 to 17. I really think it's going to be that bad. I, I think it's going to be big. Um, 45, 17. Here's why I don't know that it gets to 45. I don't know that BYU scores that much. Uh, new offensive line and Don Brown. Like they're going to see, like especially an Arizona team that they probably don't have their entire playbook installed because it's a brand new defense, right? They've got a finite number of practices that they are going to be able to have to learn the defense. So Don Brown, what is he going to do? It's the same thing he's done for the last two decades. He is going to rely on pressure and blitz schemes to cover up execution and lack of, of, of effectiveness in the playbook right now. BYU's got a new offensive line, new offensive line coach, new quarterback. I think BYU will hit a lot of big plays. I think that they are going to win this game by double digits. 
I don't know that it's that big of a spread, 45-17. I'm thinking more like 34 to, yeah, 17, 14. So, so I, close. Yeah, I mean, close, I don't – but not quite there. Yeah, I don't know what – I don't know. It will be interesting to see what the reports are coming out of um, – you know, the, what the reports are coming out of Tucson as they get into fall camp, because like you said, that big shift in the offensive strategy, whatever they're doing there, the, like their defense was just bad last year. So if you take a bad defense and then add some, like just was, that was not good at all. I mean, they got roasted 77 to zero in their, uh, in the territorial cup against ASU. Um, if you take a bad defense and add a coach whose only setting is, be aggressive as aggressive as you can and always send five plus guys or, you know, 60% of the time, send five plus guys. Like that's a recipe for disaster. And it's, and this, this comes into where we are kind of our next actual topic on this is the QB drop-off. I mean, you won, you hopped on uh, ESPN 960 yesterday with Ben Criddle and we're talking about the Arizona preview, kind of what you thought basically had the same conversation we're having now and your mentions got destroyed because you because you said you do not think the QB drop off will be that high, and I one hundred percent agree with you. Is it going to look different? Yes. Are we going to see the same amazing, incredible, jaw dropping throws that we saw from Zach Wilson? No. Will the actual production drop off that much? I don't think so either. Because we have seen across multiple starting quarterbacks that a rod has guys ready to play and the offense just changes. And, you know, in, you know, a rod, even this is his first year. Yes. Is the full-time play caller as the offensive coordinator, whereas he was just the passing game coordinator, like the passing game that was installed the last three seasons was a rod spring child. And you have seen that change around each of the different starting QBs that have played around their skill sets it, what has been changed and they were all effective. So it's, we're talking about production, we're talking about effectiveness, not like gaudiness, right? Like it's, you know, especially if it's Jaron Hall, okay. Like however, however many yards total did Zach Wilson have last year? I knew he threw for 3,900, but they rushed for like 250 more or whatever. Um, you know, is it crazy to think that Jaron Hall, if he starts the whole season is going to put up around 4,200 yards of total offense? No, I don't think that's crazy because Jaron Hall is athletic enough that we may see 500 yards rushing and 3,500 yards passing or whatever, right? Are we going to see as many touchdowns? Probably not. And the scoring may dip a little bit, but some of that may be intentional. If you're deliberately running the ball more, you're going to move. the Things are going to be a little slower. You may drop one possession a game. And if you're, you know, and so that may work out to averaging, you know, three or four points a game difference in scoring, whatever. Um, and so I don't think, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, how the change from John Beck to Max Hall. John Beck has an extremely, extremely strong arm. Max Hall just had an okay arm, and it really was his attitude is what got him as far as he did. And so with the drop-off, they changed the offense a little bit between John Beck and Max Hall, and they didn't ask Max to make a lot of the throws that they asked John to make because Max could not make them, and that's fine. But his numbers were better than John Beck's. And he threw for more yards and was just as efficient as John Beck was because it was a QB friendly system and he had the talent around him to do great things. Right. And it, you know, he walked in and he had Austin Colley there with him and Dennis Pitta and like 
life was golden. And if you look at this group, I think on paper, this is the most raw talent that BYU has ever had in the receivers room. Yes, we've had guys before, like there's been Bellini, there's been Drage, like there's been Plater. There's all these guys over the years where it was just like you had one guy in a tight end and that was kind of plugging it up. But when it's like, okay, like Dax Milne was great last year. He was wide receiver too until Gunnar Romney got hurt. Gunnar Romney is coming back and Gunnar Romney was dang good. You add Puka Nakua to the mix. Neil Pau was no slouch. You add Samson Nakua to the mix. You have Cody Epps is extremely athletic. Chris Jackson, if he figures out how to run forward, he can run past people, right? <laughs> and so it's like, even if you look at this with, and then you throw in the growth of um, Dallin Holker coming back and then Isaac, you know, in the elk, Dax Milne coming into the season might be pass catcher number four. Oh yeah. Like, and, and then- and- and it's not like I, I found it interesting. I found it really interesting. So the replies and the general feedback, there were a few people that agreed with, with, with what you're saying and what, what I said. Uh, but by and large, most people were like, uh, if the next quarterback is number two in the NFL draft, then blah, 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 blah. okay, first, I don't care, right? Like, I don't care. I don't care about where Zach was drafted as it relates to effectiveness at BYU. Zach was great. Nobody was on board with Zach Wilson faster than, than, than I was. I, I was very, very vocally and very, very publicly advocating that BYU was missing the boat in a big way when they had not offered Zach Wilson. I was very much against Zadok Dinkelman coming in when Ty was still the, the offensive coordinator because they overlooked Zach Wilson. Like there are articles, there are board posts, there are tweets that you can validate and pull up the receipts that there is not a bigger, uh, I guess an earlier adopter to the Zach Wilson bandwagon than I was. Uh, he's great. He's a legend. I think he's going to be a great pro. I don't think anybody on BYU's roster is even a pro. Like they may get a, a sniff. Somebody replied to me and said, that's a really early write-off of Jacob Conover. Yeah, it is. Uh, Jacob Conover, I think has all the tools to be absolutely spectacular at BYU. I'm also a big Conover fan, but the dude's six one, like he, he's not going to be, unless he throws for 9 million yards, he's just not going to be a modern day NFL quarterback. So Zach's not is the likes to do. If you can run, yeah. you can get away with being six one. He's not his game. He's not right? Russell Wilson. Yeah. Or Baker Mayfield. Right. Like, and so you got to play yeah, a little scrap. He's not scrappy. His game style is not scrappy enough to be a right. quarterback. So could he, could he be Drew Brees? Yeah, I guess. But how many Drew Breeses have there been right. one and his name is Drew Brees. So whatever, I don't care about pro potential. That's not what this argument even is. This argument is the production at the quarterback position with Zach Wilson last year and the production at the quarterback with whoever it is this year, I don't think is going to be significantly different. Now, there will be a drop-off because the competition is going to get much tougher, much tougher, much tougher. But I think that the quarterback play is going to be really, really well. And it's not like this is something that's unheard of, and I'm shocked a little bit at the response from BYU fans because BYU fans, not only did they see this with, with John Beck to Max Hall, like we talk about all the time, but BYU made BYU off of these types of transitions. 
right? Like nobody thought going from Gifford Nilsson to Mark Wilson was going to be a seamless transition, but, but Wilson was better than Nilsson. And nobody thought that when Mark Wilson left and was drafted, that going to Jim McMahon, they were going to get even better. And yet they did. And when Jim McMahon left, nobody thought that the former fifth string safety, Steve Young, was going to come in and perform just as well as McMahon did. And when when Steve Young left, nobody thought that Robbie Bosco was going to come in and win a national championship that next year. Nobody thought that, right? From John Walsh to Steve Sarkeesian, from Ty Detmer to Ryan Hancock to John Walsh. Like nobody thought that these things were going to happen. And yet, because of a very friendly system that worked, we have decades, decades of proof that BYU can transition quarterbacks. Steve Young was a safety, right? Like he was not going to be a quarterback, but he got into the system that they were running at BYU in the 80s, and he succeeded and played very, very well. I don't think he was as good as Jim McMahon, but that drop-off from Mac to Steve Young was not big. Right. Like that was two great quarterbacks doing great things. And I think that's what we're going to see. And I, I, it does really surprise me to see how many BYU fans are simply chalking it up to Zach Wilson went number two overall. Therefore, no other quarterback can be effective at BYU. Those are two different arguments. Those are not even in the same discussion. I, Zach Wilson could go wherever he wants in the draft. Ziggy Ansaw was number, what, five overall to the Lions several years ago? Yep. Ziggy Ansaw's production at BYU was nowhere close or nowhere even near worthy of the number five pick. Not even anywhere near worthy of the number five pick. But his projectables, his size, his raw talent, his ceiling, his blah, 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 all those buzzwords – that was, and that's what the NFL teams did. They, they invested in his future. That's what the Jets did. Zach Wilson has an NFL arm. He's one of the smartest players in the world. Like he, he has all the tools to be great. It wasn't, the Jets didn't draft him because of what he did at BYU. It was what he did at BYU that got him on the Jets radar, but the Jets drafted him because of what he can do in the future. That's, that's how it, it, it's like a job, a job interview, right? Like a college degree, unless it's from the Ivy league, I guess really doesn't get you a job, but it opens doors, right? It opens doors for interviews. It opens doors and helps you get through the selection process. But at the end of the day, when, when you have a job interview, that interviewer is not asking you tons and tons of questions about your degree. He's asking you, or she is asking you questions about your experience, what you've done your abilities, your talent, and how you fit into the team in the future. It's the same idea. Like Zach Wilson was not drafted by the Jets because he was unbelievable last year. Zach Wilson was noticed by the Jets because he was unbelievable last year and drafted by the Jets because they think he could be even more unbelievable in the future. Jaron Hall or Baylor Romney or Jacob Conover can be unbelievable for BYU this year. And then get to that next level and they look at him and they go, uh, no, these guys are all six feet tall. They don't have the arm strength. They're not Zach Wilson. We don't think they'll be unbelievable in the future and not invest a draft pick and yet hit their BYU career was just as unbelievable. And we have seen that time and time and time again at BYU. Why people don't think that that's possible is really, really surprising to me. Well, there's plenty of college quarterbacks that are great and put up insane numbers and are very, very effective, but their game just does not translate to the NFL. And that doesn't like, you can be a great player 
and not be a good NFL prospect. You can also be an okay NFL, an okay college player who is a great NFL prospect. Like it's not a one-to-one relationship. And so, yeah, it's people. And I, I think it really shows just the failure. Your mention showed the failure of the public education system as a whole, (laughs) that these listeners were just lacking such critical thinking skills that to say that you said, oh, there's going to be no drop off. I expect the next quarterback to be a top five pick. Like you said, nothing remotely to the sort. You said they're going to find a way to get yards and put up points. That's what yeah. you said. That's it. Yeah. That has nothing to do with being an NFL. Like, look at there have been guys like, who is that quarterback? Like after Gardner, freaking Gardner Minshew went from transferring from being a backup at ECU to wanting to be a player coach at Alabama as a walk-on to the same offseason going to Washington State and turning into a draft pick. Anthony Gordon followed him up the next year, put up the same freaking numbers. You had guys like Mason Fine was like 5'7", playing quarterback at North Texas, and he threw for like 4,200 yards a season over the course of his career. He wasn't a pro prospect, but he was in a QB-friendly system that put him in, situ- in situations where he could succeed according to his skill set. And I mean, that's at, what the at, staff does. And look at the talent around him. Like even now there's more talent for this quarterback to work with than Zach Wilson had last year, right? Like last year you had Gunnar Romney was hurt half the year. Isaac Rex was incredible. And he was fresh off his missions. Like I expect Dallin Holker to be as good or if not better than Isaac Rex was last year because of building on his freshman year, he's working out with Jordan Pendleton. Like he's going to be in great shape. I expect Isaac Rex to take a step forward. I expect Neil Powell to be better. Gunnar Romney should take the step forward again. You add in Puka and Samson and then all the other guys getting better. It's like the only real pass catcher that you lost was Dax Milne. Like there is more talent across the board for this to work with. You add in that Tyler Algier has gotten faster and then Hinkley Rapati is healthy and that dude is built like a freaking tank. Lopini Katoa can go out and play the slot and is a great receiver as well. He is a great pass catcher and he is a very solid running back. You have Jackson McChesney should be coming back off his injury. You know, we're four or five deep at running back and then like seven deep at receiver. There's more talent at the skill positions on this team right now than BYU has ever had in the history of the program. And I'm confident in saying that. Yeah, I agree. And it, it just, it happens all the time. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind would ever pick Christian Stewart over Taysom Hill. But when Taysom Hill went down and Christian Stewart came in, was the drop-off so much that it was like, oh my gosh, this isn't even the same team anymore? No. Christian Stewart, the guy whose only pro day experience was throwing for Utah's receivers at Utah's pro day. He was moving the ball and effective within Robert and I's offense, right? This happens all the time. And I just, I look at the talent that is on the roster. I look at the scheme that a rod runs and I look at the, yeah, the talent that's at the quarterback room and the talent at the skill positions, I firmly believe that the, the quarterback position at BYU uh, will be just fine this year. It's not going to be 2017 when we're trotting out Coy Detmer and Joe Critchlow and Bo Hodge and guys who bless their hearts. They tried their best. They did what they could with the talent that they have, but should have never been put in the positions that they were in. Like that's not what we're looking at here. There are three guys who are going to be as effective as, as, as BYU quarterbacks as Zach Wilson was, period. I, I, period. Look, I mean, and maybe the best example and kind of the, the closing note on this argument, you're down by a touchdown. No, forget it. You, you have to go and beat somebody. 
you're playing a top 10 team next year, next week. You could pick Max Hall or you could pick John Beck. Who are you picking based on what they did at BYU? Most people are picking the most winningest quarterback in BYU history. Most people are taking the one who beat Oklahoma on a fourth quarter last minute drive, right? John Beck was great. John Beck was a pro. John Beck works with the most brilliant quarterbacks in the world and makes them better. John Beck is a legend. But based on what they did at BYU, you're probably taking Max Hall, who the only reason he got an undrafted free agent sniff was because he was a legend. That was it. Like he, his incredible career at BYU, winning more games than any quarterback, any Steve Young, any Jim McMahon, Ty Detmer, any quarterback in BYU history. And he couldn't even get drafted because he didn't have the pro talent, but he was a legend at BYU. I don't know why that's just such an unreasonable take. Zach Wilson's great. Zach Wilson's going to be great. What Zach Wilson did last year was spectacular. But Zach Wilson's now, be, he was drafted based on what he can do as a pro. People think that this there's this notion that you are drafted because of what you did in college and that just is categorically false. What you do in college, it gets you to the interview. That's it. A degree gets you to the interview. But it's all on what you can bring to the table after that that gets you drafted. Period. That's why Justin Fields did not go one overall or two overall, right? Justin Fields was really good at Ohio State, took the Buckeyes to the highest levels of college football. But there were multiple quarterbacks that that North Dakota State, Trey Lance, that the 49ers looked at and said that he brings more to the table going forward. Trey Lance, who played in like three games. And it's the same in every sport. Kyrie Irving, he played what, like six games for Duke and was broken for half of them? But he was still taking number one overall in that year's NBA draft because teams looked at the Cavs, looked at what he can bring to the table in the future, said, I don't give a damn about his Duke career. I don't give a damn about his injury. That guy's going to make it. The college career is not what gets you drafted. It's not. So Jaron Hall could go out. Maybe he puts up even better numbers than what Zach Wilson did. He still won't be the number two overall pick, period. He just won't. That's not how it works, and thinking like that is short-sighted and wrong. So it's time to correct that, ladies and gentlemen, and start thinking about this like football coaches do and like general managers do and stop making this argument that because Zach went number two, therefore BYU is going to struggle this year. It's stupid. It's just wrong. Amen. We've got on a couple of rants a couple of couple weeks in a row now. We really have. And your rant last week about the defense uh, got some rave reviews. People it did. You were very passionate about that. And people you know, and it was it was very unexpected. I didn't expect to be that passionate about really anything, but definitely not about that. And you know, but, but I was. Here we are. And it was, I think it probably got more, um, it probably got more kind of, it got more run than a lot of our other episodes have in terms of, you know, looking at the number of plays, especially for our off season. But that rant, we, uh, no offense to uh, Brother Hancock, but more people commented on the rant than about his story. It's true, which is a shame because his story was way better than my rant. 
I mean, your rant was pretty good, but the, um, so it's, yeah, your rant and I did seek some clarification and what we were told is that in kind of what has been pieced out on a couple different articles as well, um, as other people have also been asking, like, what the hell's Frodo mean? Um, that it is basically, it will look the same to the untrained eye. It will look the same. It's just, you know, when there are different players on the field, guys will have different assignments, right? Like you're not going to ask Peyton Wilgar. If Peyton Wilgar's lining up downside back, you're not going to ask him and Josh Wilson to do the same thing because they play a different game, whatever. And so it's like these smaller positions that are basically different packages, right? Like it's, if you have like a jumbo package on the offense, right? You're still lining up with a fullback and a tight end or whatever, but you may have an extra refrigerator package where you're bringing in extra offensive linemen for those two spots instead of having a tight end and a running back, right? Because you want someone who's a better blocker. It's the equivalent of naming instead of having like a tight end or a fullback, calling it like extra guard and extra tackle and putting that as its own position. And so it's like, oh yes, if we happen to do this, we're still going to line up in an I formation with the two tight ends, but we're going to have three extra linemen in and just put them at the two tight end positions and the fullback spot. And this, if we decide to do that, this is who it will be, which on the one hand seems very much like a participation trophy for the players. And they probably see through that. And then too, it's kind of dumb because you're almost in a way telling like the other team, like what's going to happen, right? You're just like, Oh, okay. Well, if you put this guy in you're I know you're going to be doing something different than if you put that guy in. And if we see, you know, like if we see Josh Wilson coming in at this Frodo, we know it's going to be this weird Frodo position. Okay, that's something that we can pin down. So it either is a big like red herring just trying to distract and try to get the opposing defense or the opposing coordinators to watch a bunch of film trying to dissect what something is different about them being in the game because they're listed on the depth chart and it's going to get them to waste time and really it's all the same which is kind of weird. That's a, that's overthinking it to me, just line up and play, or you are telling them exactly what you're going to do. And that's dumb. Yeah, it's dumb. I mean, I guess we have to see what it looks like on the field. Maybe they can showing, you know, what your, your base scheme is going to be based on who the personnel is seems weird, but I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that, the assignments have to be the same, right? Like Josh Wilson could come in as a Frodo or whatever and still drop into coverage, still blitz, still have a delayed blitz, still stunt, still whatever. Like they could still do things to disguise the actual play. We, sh- we haven't seen that. We just haven't seen that kind of creativity and play calling. And so it's hard for me to expect that. I mean, we're going into what, Garrett? This is year six now. Yep. of Elisa Tuiaki, like that's that's longer is that longer than any defensive coordinator that Bronco had yeah I mean because Bronco had Jaime Hill for for what four or five years fired him he was the defensive coordinator for a year had Nick Cowell for a couple of years fired him or demoted him or whatever he did and then he took over again like Tuiaki has more consecutive years as the defensive coordinator at BYU than anybody under Bronco Mendenhall had and really yeah. anybody under under Gary Croton anybody under Recent, like the tail end of, of Lavelle Edwards's tenure, like so, right. I, I, I I just don't know how much more growing you can expect to see at this point. 
I have a really hard time expecting something different than what we've seen for five years. And we talked about this kind of maybe six months ago at the tail end of the season that it's frustratingly effective, right? Like even we have a lot of beer friends like, oh, we only drop eight every plate. That's not true, right? Yeah. It, it is frustrating that we do that time, but that is a growing trend. More and more teams are doing that because as teams are airing it out, they say, hey, you know what? If they're going with a quick game, right? Like there's nothing worse. If you cannot get to the quarterback, it is worse to blitz and not get to the quarterback than it is to not blitz at all. Because oh, yeah. you are still getting the same amount of pressure, which is zero, but now you have fewer guys in coverage. Like this, like dropping eight into coverage and only rushing three, that is come becoming more and more common across the game, both at the college level and the NFL. I'm not saying Elias Tuyaki was a pioneer on that front. Is it frustrating to watch? Yes. Is it boring? Yes. Are there games when the coaches have yelled at the linebackers for playing on their heels when they have told them to be playing downhill? And they need to be playing like forward first. Yes. Is it frustrating when, especially with the advent of RPOs, because now you have linebackers in a position where they have to try to play the run in the pass at the same time. And if you do that, you're going to get beat. And that's why RPOs are exploding because it puts the defense in a compromising position. Yes. Like that is all just the evolution of the game and how things are changing. And it is frustrating to watch. It can be boring to watch. But if it keeps points off the scoreboard and puts us in a position to win, then it's getting the job done. As much as I'd say it now, that is what the current talent we have. If we're talking about all of our whole defense and like the entire front seven is going to be these project players that you ranted about last week and like who the strategy of who we're bringing into the program, this can very much blow up in their faces. And it's not playing the probability that are stacked against them. And so when we said this last week, right, like they're either mad hatters or they like they're either mad hatters or they like and are these geniuses that everybody you know are 12 steps ahead of everybody else or they have no idea what's going on i look at it like I look at it in a lot of different ways but one way that i've looked at it recently is i i look to baseball so baseball pitchers are throwing harder than they ever have, right? Like in, in the majors right now, like you don't go a game without seeing somebody hit hundred miles an hour. Like they, they just do pitchers throw hard. Everybody in bullpens can hit like 98. Now it's just like a prerequisite for being a reliever in the pros 10, 15 years ago. That wasn't the case. If you had, there was one or two guys in the league who could hit hundred. And, and now it's, it's vastly different, right? Hitters have had to react. So in the old days, it was, you, you had just a little bit more time to react, to recognize a pitch that you could be a lot more left field, you know, foul line to foul line hitter. But now we have all these shifts and things like that in baseball. And it's easy for us as fans to be like, oh my gosh, there's four infielders on the left side of the infield. Just go the other way hit it to second base. All you got to do is hit a dribbler out there and you'll get a single. Why don't hitters do that? Well, in part because pitchers are throwing so freaking hard now that they don't have the time to react. So they just have to give their best swing every pitch, regardless of what it is. Hope they guess right. And their best swing is trying to pull the ball. 
and that's why they continue to hit into the shift and that's why these shifts continue to be more and more relevant in, in in major league baseball what does that have to do with football well that's how hitters have had to react to an evolving game where pitchers are throwing harder and harder and harder football quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball faster than they ever have they are getting rid of the ball so quickly spread offenses rpos quarterbacks aren't holding on to the ball anymore ever there are fewer and fewer teams who are capable of getting to the quarterback with enough consistency that it it matters period there's just not in 2009 there were uh in 2010 is what i'm looking at but there were a number of teams that were able to get to the quarterback a bunch in 2020 2020 is a funny year because of, of covid let's go to 2019 there were a grand total of 14 teams who were able to get to the quarterback and have three or more sacks a game on average three teams are now running 90 plays a game and there are what did i just say 15 teams in the country who are able to get three sacks out of 90 ish plays a game that's crazy it's a I, huge and, shift in style of the, it's an evolution of it, the game I want, I want you, and maybe you can do this. I think you already have the data available, but I, I want to see this. I don't care as much about sacks per game. I want to know sacks per play because my hunch is that that number has decreased dramatically over the last two decades of football because the game has sped up. Defenses can't just win battles anymore unless you have an elite defensive end who can beat a tackle off of the line of scrimmage and get to the quarterback within a couple of seconds and that's probably long right within a, a second and a half like how fast do quarterbacks get rid of the ball now it's usually under two seconds and so if unless you have a quarterback or a defensive end who can get to the quarterback that quickly sacks just don't happen anymore how do you how do you defend Mike Leach's offense. How do you defend a West Coast? You, you put guys in coverage to try to confuse the quarterback. That's the only way that you could do it anymore. You just and that's why we're seeing this for a mistake. Trend. You just wait for a yeah. mistake because in it, even this kind of ties back to what we're saying about the difference between Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall and like or, or Baylor Romney or Jacob Conover, whoever it is. There's a lot of guys who are very successful at the college level, but they're not pro prospects. They will make mistakes, and they can be great. They can throw for forty. 500 yards a season, whatever, but it's almost like a money ball thing where it's like, you are waiting for them to say, you don't care. Like you balance the, and it's not just like, Oh, we need to stuff them every play. If you, if you sell out stuff them every tit, you're going to get beat. You wait for them to make a mistake as the field gets shorter and they move down the line, the field is going to compress and you have more bodies in less space and there's less room to operate in. And you they get shoved into a place where they have to fit the ball in a tight window. And you say, Hey, most college quarterbacks are not going to be able to make this throw you. When you do face a great quarterback, it will come back to bite you. And then that's when you have to be able to do something different. But at the same time, teams with great quarterbacks, that's why they're good teams because they have great quarterbacks yeah. and that's just the way it goes. And so you, it does, you know, it's all a balance. And when you're talking about defense and offense, you're not just saying, Oh, we got to stop them. Okay. You're saying, okay, well, we have to balance defending the pass versus defending the run. What is their strength? Like, do we care 
you know, if you're playing a Mike Leach offense, right? Do you care about giving up 500 yards passing if you only give up, you know, 37 yards rushing? Or do you care about total yards? Oh, you know, and you're also, and it's not even just the offense. You're trying to balance like, okay, well, we want to give our offense more time to talk. So maybe we are going to bring less pressure and we're planning on the next defensive series to try to draw that out because we need to give the offense time to talk about what they need to do because they've had a couple three and outs and you're balancing that like, okay, well, the offense had a couple three and outs. They, you know, the defense is getting tired because they've been out on the field, but at the same time, the offense needs time to figure their crap out and you need to let the coordinator and the quarterback talk about what they're seeing and what is going on. And so if you go out there and you force a three and out on defense, now you're throwing the quarterback right back out there and it's frustrating because they can't figure it out. So sometimes it's better. Like it, it's not so cut and dry and you know, of just whatever. And so it is a game, right. And you could talk about like, Oh, well it chews up clock and it shortens the game. It's like one or two possessions, right? It's not like, Oh, we'd get 20 possessions and we could score 140 points if, you know, we scored on all of them, but because the defense is, you know, doing this and giving up long drives, then it's screwing us over. It's like, no, like that's, you're talking about going from 13 possessions to 11 or whatever, right? Like it's not that big of a deal. And like, and is it worth it to trade two extra possessions if you can be more effective on the other 11 because your offense has time to talk about like, no, this is what they're doing. This is what I think we do. Let's, we're all on the same page. We're going to go out and attack this. Like it's, there's a lot of variables of play on both sides, right? And there may be times on offense where even though you, something has been working, if you're scoring too fast, you may say we need to slow it down the next series because the defense needs a break because like that is all part of the equation of managing a game. And it is both sides of the ball working together and there is give and take. And no matter what you do, there's like, it is pick your poison because something is going to create risk and you are in your, your part of your game plan is assessing what is this other team bad at? And where can we leave the risk? Like, where can we displace our risk this week? So that way it does not bite us or it minimizes the downside effect of leaving this gap open because, you know, in our strategy, it'd be at pace, whatever. And so that's, you know, there is, that's all part of kind of creating your identity and getting where people feel comfortable. You move talking like, you know, managing the menu, right? Like it's, we talked about the offense, like it's the offense. They are asked to do very few things and all of the confusion was brought pre-play, but then once post snap, they were masters at what they do. And it's the same thing with the defense, right? Like it's, you can have more things on the menu and be doing all these crazy things, but that also increases your risk of, well, we just got beat over the top. And if you don't have speed, you ha- can't take as many risks because you can't cover, right? And so it's it's all a matter of risk management. Like that really what it is on both sides of the ball is choosing when to take your shots and what you feel comfortable leaving yourself exposed to. And, it, and what you do on one side of the ball affects the other side of the ball. And they are not like completely separated. Like everything is a game plan of how's the defense going to help the offense? How's the offense going to help the defense? What is the other team good at on offense and defense? And how is all of that coordinated together? We have semi-breaking news. Semi. Not real breaking news, but semi-breaking news. Um, the Daily Universe, which exists still. Oh, gosh. The Daily Universe has tweeted out a meme 
a flex tape meme, which honestly are some of my favorite memes. I think they're funny. Flex tape meme. Flex tape, if you haven't seen the infomercials, is the black tape that you can put over anything. It can make a boat float. Uh, the guy's got a big vat of water, puts a big gaping hole in it, and then he slaps some flex tape on it to cover up the hole. Well, here's the meme. While the hole is open and the water is pouring out of the vat, the Daily Universe wrote BYU Athletic Department losing millions of dollars from COVID. And then when the guy slaps that flex tape on that hole to cover it up, bam, new locker room. And obviously the implication here is that BYU was losing a whole bunch of money because of COVID. They asked for a bunch of donations and now they built a brand new locker room. Now there's explanations. Like people have been very quick to say, hey, this came from not the athletic fund or not the building fund or blah, blah, blah. Here's my take. Ready for my take? You're damn right, BYU added a new locker room because football is greater than academics. Go cry about it if you disagree. That's my take. And on, I agree with that. And on top of that, uh, when this was a whole project was announced, same with the stadium scoreboard, Tom Homo specifically mentioned this because he knew that people are dumb. And this goes back to the lack of critical thinking that you thought this was just over done overnight, you know, and that people are dumb. And I'm honestly, they can go cry about it, but honestly, I am kind of embarrassed that some kid at the universe was like, oh yeah, this is so witty. We got them. This is a big gotcha. And it's like, no, like you're a journalist, you're supposed you're a journalist, and I'm air quoting right now. You're supposed to be like looking into stuff. There's a freaking video with Tom Holm explaining where the money for this came from and how it's a multi-year project. So this is Listen, like, I mean, you know, we already distrust the media as it is, right? And the ind- us independent media people that in the podcast realm are bringing the real truth, you know. This oh, yeah. is, you know, we, I'm not saying we are the info wars of BYU sports, but <laughs> we ain't posting stupid ass memes like this. Uh, who's the highest paid professor at the university of Alabama? Nick damn Saban is the highest paid. He's the highest, he's more money than the governor. Um, let's go to Clemson. Dabo makes more money than any government employee in the state of, of South Carolina. Brett Venables yeah. makes more. Like he's not even the head coach. Yeah. Football matters more than academics. And so here I I am. I don't care what Tom Homo said. You're right. And I agree with you. And that is the explanation and shame on the daily universe, which honestly surprises me every day that they're still around shame on them for not having the journalistic ability to just research stuff. And also a little bit weird to think this is a gotcha of their own school. Kind of strange. Yeah. But, I want to just accept it at its face value and say, yeah, the athletic department did ask for money. Yeah, that money did come in. And yeah, they used it to build a really fancy ass locker room so that they could get better recruits and win more football games. And I will donate more money because of it. Period. So we are going to going extra all money. That is any profit that we receive. For until the season starts. No, we're going to say till the season starts, we are going to donate 
to the BYU football program. So go to givenhillbrigham.com and go buy stuff. And you are not only supporting the show, well, really, you won't even be supporting the show. If you buy this, you'll be supporting BYU Athletics because we're going to give 100% of our margin for the rest of the summer towards the program because they've started the Built for Life program. They've renovated the locker room. They're getting new scoreboards. The purse strings are being opened. And we have been told from very good sources that Ryan Smith, the owner of the Jazz, along with a number of other very influential and very wealthy donors, are working on a master plan for BYU athletics. And there are going to be the locker room is the that is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to facilities and what we're going to see over the next five years. So if you are a BYU fan, put your money where your mouth is. Either go make a donation directly to the program, or if you want an awesome shirt, go buy stuff from GiveMelBrigham.com. And I'm going to say we through the season, the rest of this season, this daily universe tweet, every dollar we make until the end of the bowl game in Christmas will be donated to the program. Yes. And as part of this, uh, so we do not get audited by the IRS. I should probably also start tracking the actual financials of this whole operation. Well, uh, I mean, that's that's for we, you to figure we, out. I'm right. just a hype man. I'm raising the money, but you got to figure out the numbers. Okay. Uh, I, I, just everybody buy shit so that we can donate it to the program. <laughs> and we'll just let the daily universe know how much we've contributed because of their. Every, every time we sell a shirt ever, we're going to give weekly updates and tag the daily universe and say, this is how much we have given to the athletic program to piss you off because of COVID losses. So, you know, I think this is a perfect bow tie on our show and we, you know, it's been a great show. This is probably one of my top favorite episodes. I'm so excited. So please, please, please go to givehimhellbrigham.com buy whatever you want to your heart's content. You can use the code word hellion for 10% off. That's H E L L I O N, which you and I did not discover how that word was spelled till after we started the show. And then everything through the end of the season, through the bowl game, all proceeds will be going to the athletic department directly. And you know what? We'll even just do as a one-off thing. We're not even, we're not going to do this through our Kruger Club account. Like we're not going to get any points out of this, whatever. We're not going to do that. Like this is personally of zero benefit to us other than to stick it to the people who are butthurt that the purse strings are being opened and players are getting nicer things because BYU football deserves our support. It deserves our love through thick and thin. You and I are both thick right now, but there are some thin fans out there somewhere. And all of us collectively should shower them with every penny that we can afford to. So that way we improve the program. The players are busting their butts out there all day. They are potentially having long-term health effects for our entertainment. So freaking pay them some damn money. Can you hear my clapping? I'm clapping. And with Jared, that, we are, we are giving them hell this we, week. We are going to give the daily universe hell for the rest of the year with this financial support. That's it. That's all there is to say. Join us. Join us and give them hell, Jeff. Give them hell.